This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Good morning and welcome to Triple R's Radio Therapy, your weekly hour of all things medical and psychological. Except I should mention that after today we won't actually be weekly for a while. Well, not for the next six weeks anyway. That's right, it's our last show of the year. Once this hour is up, we'll pack away the stethoscopes, stop asking questions about your childhood and head home to find bathers and a beach towel as we settle in for the summer programming here at Triple R. Sunday sleep-ins will resume for us and for you, a sense of calm and ease will soak in as you realise that for the next six weeks, you can listen to Triple R on warm, lazy Sunday mornings without the threat of no one showing up. I'm Dr Autonomy and let me assure you I've pulled out the big guns for Radiotherapy's last show of the year. What are the big guns, I hear you ask? The big guns are the very exciting and long-anticipated return of one of our long-lost radiotherapy panellists. Yes, just like Dan and Al reuniting each year for their annual Christmas gig, we're all together again. We're reminiscing about the good old days of inappropriate banter and late breakfasts after the show and wondering where he's been for all this time. Yep, it's true, people. Lolly Doc is back in the studio. Our long-lost ED physician straight from the emergency department of one of Melbourne's biggest and busiest hospitals and here to share all his secrets with you. He's back for the whole hour today and fingers crossed for many more hours next year. And I'm not kidding when I say that Lolly Doc's going to be sharing all his secrets with you. He's really doing a segment about what they see most in the emergency departments over the Christmas and New Year period, so stay tuned. As well as Lolly Doc, we've got Miss Medic in the studio today, our resident and very wonderful GP. She's torn herself away from the latest episode of Nashville to help us prepare for 2016. Yep, just as you're thinking it was all doom and gloom and emergency room drama, Miss Medic is going to turn things around and leave you feeling optimistic and excited. So get your paper and pens ready because you'll be all set to write down those New Year resolutions after her segment today. And of course, we couldn't do an end of year show without some reference to Christmas. I mean, it's fabulous that Miss Medic's come dressed up as Santa today and Lolly Doc's here as the naughty elf, but we needed something more given it's radio. So we've also got a very special guest joining us today. Colleen Duggan from Span Community House is going to tell us all about their sensitive Santa program. It's for kids on the autism spectrum. And in all seriousness, it's an incredible program um, and very emotive stuff. I actually cried when I was watching the video and you're going to feel all warm and fuzzy at the end of our chat with Colleen, I promise. So grab a cup of coffee and settle in for this last ride of the year. Some ketchup, some laughs and more as we fill in the hour until 11 o'clock. Good morning, team. We're all back together. Mm. Lolly Doc, welcome. Woohoo, indeed. <laughs> it's good to be back. You Where know? have you been? It's been nine years. Has I just it really? Out, yeah, it's been nine years. So... Went to Queens, disappeared to Queensland for three years. Yeah. So that's, you know, how they're like half an hour and 20 years behind. So I kind of got lost in a little time vortex. Sorry to Queenslanders listening. We have some Queensland listeners, yeah. Exactly. We do, yeah, I know. But Not I do anymore. Love, no, no. See you, Queenslanders. <laughs> um, go the Maroons. No. Um, so, yeah, so I came back to Melbourne about six years ago and kids and work and all that sort of stuff's Life. gotten in the way. I know, I've put, I've put, 
family ahead of radio. That's silly, isn't it? Oh, I think that's a lovely thing. It's it a is. lovely thing. They're staring through the window at the moment, though, so I'm <laughs> waving at them. We'll have to get them on air one day soon, maybe next year. Yeah, they were a bit embarrassed about Dad's man, Keeney, but, you know, I tried <laughs> to get into the Christmas summer spirit. So. <laughs> Look, luckily it's radio. Yep. Miss mm. Maddie, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you, Autonomy? I'm well, I'm well. I'm getting into the Christmas spirit, being yeah. baking and eating. Oh, God, not in this weather. It's been so hot. It has been very hot, actually. Yeah. yeah. I was I was thinking that this morning, just how oppressive it is to walk out the front door. Luckily, we've got air conditioning and how awful it feels. Um, and then I had a reality check about, well, you know, I've still got my house. I'm not being threatened by fires. There's people who are doing it um, much more tough this morning, I think, than yes, we absolutely. are. Pretty scary stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. How about you? Are you getting into the Christmas spirit? I love Christmas time. I know you do. I love it. I'm all about it. And I'm actually quite happy that I haven't had to really take part in the chaos in the last few days with the shopping centres and things like mm. that because I was a little bit organised and had everything done probably about a week ago. So I'm feeling pretty, pretty chuffed with myself. Kent's looking really... <laughs> he's recovering from a full day of shopping yesterday in the heat, aren't you, Kent? Yeah. Shocking stuff. Shocking stuff. And still he's here to push the buttons for us. Bless him. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Kent. <laughs> now, we're going to get into a bit of ketchup um, stories in the news. Just very quickly, this um, hasn't been in the news so much in the last week, but it's been in the news a couple of weeks before, and I just want to revisit it very quickly. It's the chickenpox outbreak at one of Melbourne's um, primary schools, and I guess it uh, comes back to the idea of vaccinations that we've been talking about quite a bit on air, but I think it's always important to revisit it. Um, There's been a lot written in the papers about this. Um, Miss Medic, what do you know about this particular primary school, and, and why we talking about this again? Well, I guess um, this primary school has had the first-hand experience of what we know is the risk if we drop our global um, or our you know community immunisation rates. So this primary school has experienced about 25% of their student body coming down with chickenpox. And um, and so that's about 80 kids, which is, wow. you know, a significant proportion of yeah. children. Um, obviously, it's not to say that all those kids weren't immunised against chickenpox because we know the chickenpox vaccine is only about sort of 80% effective, having one dose. Um, so some of those kids will have had their immunisation, but they won't have been um, covered to the full extent that we need them to be. And uh, but if you've got a proportion of students uh, in a community that are not vaccinated at all, then you get this potential for an outbreak. And so what we know about that school is that they have only about a seventy-four percent immunisation, full immunisation rate. So that's children that have completed the the childhood immunisation schedule. It's only a seventy-four percent. Mm-hmm. And what we really need is around the ninety-four percent mark. That's what we need to be aiming for at a minimum in order to protect our vulnerable members of community against these um, infectious diseases. So it's just, it's really illustrated just how important it is for um, those who can be immunised to be immunised because there are definitely then the risk of people that could come, become very unwell from these infections contracting them in the community. So it's been, a, it's been, it's got a lot of press and I know that the members of that school community, you know, a lot of them uh, have felt really quite 
um, upset by what's been going on. There's been sort of people targeted or a real rift kind of coming into that school community. And the principal himself has been... There's been a lot said about him, and I think, you know, he's been in a difficult position to a certain extent. Um, it's it, actually... You can't ban people from a primary school because they're not immunised, can you? No, that's it's, right. So, yeah, that, they can't not be a member of... of you can, yeah, you, you can't not be enrolled in school if you're not immunised. But I guess what we really need to push is that we can't use the word sort of tolerance around immunisations because it's... It's one of those situations where someone's decision has a direct consequence for other members in the community. One of, well, sorry, no, well, Tony, one, one of the interesting things for next year, in fact, is the, the no jab, no play policy that's coming in for childcare. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, the preschool age children, and if your child is not immunised, you won't be able to access those childcare facilities. And I think that's a very interesting bit of legislation. Just, what do you think about that? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me this. And I'm, and I, and I'm I, look, I, I, obviously the balance here is between people's right to choose and to, mm. to make parents inform, parents to make informed decisions for their children. Um, and I guess then there's the, the risk of, uh, you know, health that you, as, as Ms Medic said, you're putting other members of the community at risk, mm. particularly those who are vulnerable or, or uh, unwell. And from my point of view, I think it probably sits in balance of of immunising and that's just a personal um, position that I have. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think there's a part of me as a psychologist, you know, I'm trained to be empathic and to sit with lots of different views and be compassionate to people's own decisions. Uh, But I guess this is one area where a lot has been written about this idea that being tolerant of people choosing not to vaccinate their children is actually not okay in this scenario um, and it's mo- it's about more than just a personal choice you're affecting your child and you're affecting the community around you and so perhaps this is an area where we do need to come down in much more of a hard-lined way and be very um, directive about this and I guess that sounds like the way we're going. Yeah, look, I think that that's exactly right, um, Dr Autonomy. And I think people get really confused when we talk about this and we think about our right to choose, et cetera, et cetera. And so I was trying to think of a way in which I could kind of make an, uh, you know, a comparison to another situation. So say, for instance, we know that in all most primary schools, I think it's pretty much all primary schools or childcare centres, they have a no nut policy because children are anaphylactic to peanut are present in the school. So what if I said that my child's favourite food is peanut butter sandwiches, which is actually true. My son is obsessed with peanut butter sandwiches. And that I felt his right to eat peanut butter sandwiches was our own right. And so I feel that he should take peanut butter sandwiches to school or childcare or kindergarten every day. What do you think that the... What would people be Mm. saying to me as a mother if then a child in that community had an anaphylactic uh, reaction to the presence of peanut butter? Does my son's right to eat peanut butter sandwiches outweigh that child's right to be safe? This is yeah, this is one of those. Diff- I think our society. I'm going to get really deep and philosophical here, <laughs> but I think this is an example of one of our society's inability to have very difficult conversations, and we see it through a whole vast variety of health 
um, you know, issues like organ donation, for example, um, how we manage our ageing population, vaccination, anaphylaxis, all those conversations are very difficult and we are very black and white, I think, particularly in the press and particularly amongst our conversations. It's really interesting, the no jab, no play policy. You know, you don't have to send your kid to kindergarten. You could choose not to, but you have to send your kid to primary school. And I guess that's why there's a difference and there's no policy around that coming in next year around primary school aged children. But you do wonder um, how you might persuade people uh, to vaccinate their children and what sort of... It's almost a punishment, isn't it, that if you don't do it, this is what happens. You wonder what other policies might be coming in. So, it's a little bit of a furphy, though, isn't it? Because it's not as if the children have got this magic shield around them in the childcare centre. They're out in the community as well. They go to shopping centres. They yeah. go to um, to play groups. They play with others. So, um, it's really a why we do need a societal conversation about it. They're not. They're not. Um, this is not just about being at school or being um, in a childcare centre. This is also about being in um, the mm. community. It's a community issue. We'll be revisiting this throughout the coming, uh, throughout next year, I'm sure. But I'm going to move us along because we have spent a bit of time on this. Um, I want to talk about something that was just in the paper this morning, actually, which was something about Hep C and treatment for Hep C. Apparently, Turnbull's just announced that he's going to be spending a billion dollars uh, putting a new medication for Hep C or maybe an existing medication that hasn't been on the PBS on the PBS. Lolly Doc, what do you know about it? Oh, so well, I, I think most most of our listeners uh, are aware that hepatitis. Is a, a virus. It's a bloodborne virus that um, can be tra- contracted from, um, I guess, access to infected blood. And in the in in the past, that's been through intravenous drug use, tattoos, those sorts of risks. Um, but people can get them um, before we used to screen through the Red Cross our transfusions. There were some transfusion related ones as well. Entirely safe now, of course. Um, we do have some very good treatments for hepatitis C. So hepatitis C causes liver disease and you can get cirrhosis of the liver and cancer um, of the liver. And we have fantastic treatments for them. And Miss Medic would know in her um, population of, of patients that um, you can actually clear all the hepatitis C if you have access to um, these medications. About 90% effective. They're really, really good. So they're combination antiviral medications. 90% is huge, isn't it? It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, we have about 700 deaths a year from um, hepatitis C-related um, in disease in Australia. Oh. So it is, it's a big issue, and I think this is a fantastic announcement by the Turnbull government dare i say it (laughs) (laughs) very interesting three triple Listening to Radiotherapy on Free Triple R with myself, Dr. Autonomy, Miss Medic, Lolly Doc, Kent on the panel, and our very special guest, Colleen Duggan, who's here to talk about the Sensitive Santa program. Good morning, Colleen. Good morning. Thank, Thank you, you for coming in. Thank you for having me. Now, Sensitive Santa program is for kids on the autism spectrum, and it runs out of Span Community House, which is where you're from. Is that mm-hmm. right? That's correct, yeah. Okay, so I might just start by asking you, when did Sensitive Santa start and how did it come about? It's been around for a while and I'd seen various um, news articles about it. It's been overseas as well and um, it was run in shopping centres and I just thought that we could actually do it better and uh, two of the councils in the northeastern suburbs, they were running one combined and I thought, well, let's try it. And so last year in 2014, we started a program over two days and it was just fabulous that the... 
families could come in any time during the day. They didn't have to get their kids to shopping centres at 7 o'clock in the morning. They, we had volunteer uh, photographers who could work with them um, in a quiet, non-intrusive environment without saying, look at me, look at me. And, um, yeah, and the kids could approach Santa in their own way. If they wanted to walk around the room and settle down, they could. If they wanted to sit next to Santa, they could. If they wanted to sit on Santa, they could. So it was just a very flexible um, environment where mm. the kids could feel comfortable. There's actually a video that you've put together of um, some kids on the autism spectrum um, meeting with your sensitive Santa, and it brought me to tears. It's very emotive oh, yeah. stuff, and it's it's incredible to to watch and and to see these kids interacting and having this experience. Whereas perhaps the the Santas that are in the shopping centres would just be too overwhelming for them, and therefore they wouldn't get that experience. Yeah. It's amazing stuff. Um, well, we what s- we do, sorry, can yeah, I just okay, yeah. beforehand we uh, send out a survey to the parents and the carers and we just get a bit of feedback on what the kids trigger points are Mm -hmm. and also what their interests are so Santa can sort of say oh you know do you watch that Bob the Builder on telly or do you you know like Lego and that then launches the kid into something Mm. that they they want to discuss so can you give us an idea of what some of the trigger points are for kids with autism so what sort of stuff do the parents say to you that they that you need to be careful of or that will help their child basically there were loud noises lights um uh too many people in the room um it had they had to have sort of a um, an open space where they could walk away from santa if they wished um, our program was excellent in the fact we had a very distressed um, young four-year-old girl and she just would not go into the Santa room. And so we were able, and this is something that we were able to do because we're at a neighbourhood house, we were able to take that family out into the garden, into a play area, and the girl settled down and then Santa came out to the play area with the photographer. <laughs> and within 20 minutes they just had a, a beautiful relationship going, the whole the three siblings and mum and dad and Santa and the photographer so it was very good. It's amazing. Yeah so yeah your basic noises, lights, that type of thing. Because when you think about the Santas that you find in the shopping centres it's noisy, it's loud, it's busy, there's so much going on and it's very rushed as well Mm. isn't it? There's no time or space for people to have a bit of time out or to collect themselves. You know we joke about all these photos of kids sitting on Santa's knee in tears and screaming but it's it's quite common and you can kind of understand why it's an overwhelming uh, situation for kids who aren't on the autism spectrum let alone those who are I wonder if we should talk a little bit about what the autism spectrum is and what happens for kids who are on it in terms of these extra sensitivities. Uh, Miss Medic, do you want to give us a bit of a rundown? Um, yeah, okay. So autism is, uh, the autism spectrum is, like it says, a spectrum. It's a it's a cluster of uh, neurological and developmental disorders in children. We don't really know what causes it. We think there's probably a genetic element, but there's it's not well understood so far. Um, but one of the features of autism, so there's several and there's a great variety in severity. Um, one of the features is either um, hyper or hyposensitivity to to external stimulus. So the children can either be very, very sensitive to things like noise, light, temperature, um, more tactile sensation, or the opposite can be have very low, low, um, 
a response to those sorts of things. So, in, like in terms of repeated rubbing of the limbs onto onto um, onto an inanimate object, causing sort of abrasions and that type of thing. So the, it, it does vary, but this this um, more hypersensitivity to external stimuli is probably more common in the autism spectrum. Um, but yeah, there are a number of other features, but I guess this one sort of really taps into that that sensitivity to to stimulus. Um, and kids with autism can also be quite sensitive to change, can't they, and, and differences in their environment. And often they can be quite um, wedded to routines, yes, I guess. Yes, that's right, yeah. Uh, and so I guess I'm wondering if in this Sensitive Santa program, even some really simple measures like being able to make an appointment time and know when you're coming and prepare the child and, and know that you've got, say, 20 minutes with, with Santa and it can be part of a daily routine rather than not knowing how it's going to go and having to get to the shopping centre and not knowing how long you're going to be waiting. Um, even those really simple measures must make a huge difference. Yeah. I'm sure that's true. I think that... Um, and we, children with autism on the autism spectrum also can have difficulty with that sort of social interaction. So, um, and, uh, you know, as a parent of small children, I know before you would even get to Santa in a, a shopping centre, you've already had to overcome several hurdles like car parking and getting them through the shopping centre and through the toy section. And, you know, there's, there's several other hurdles just for children that aren't on the spectrum that can cause you know, massive meltdowns. Mm. Um, so the fact that it's in a neighbourhood house, it's in an environment that may even be familiar to them, that a lot of those those sort of issues can be circumvented, which is great. How do the parents and kids who come along, Colleen, how do they find out about it? Um, we advertise through the Amaze website, which is for um, a peak organisation for people on, with autism. Um, through the local council, um, just through our website, through Facebook, boosted it on Facebook. Uh, we had repeat people from last year. Um, yeah, but basically I would say uh, we tapped into special schools and um, special play groups and so forth that cater for children on the autism spectrum and then word of mouth just went crazy. Viral. I bet it did. Yeah, I bet it did. <laughs> and And so... The fact that you've got repeat customers from last year speaks volumes, I think. Uh, am I right in assuming that it's finished for this year, the program? Yes, unfortunately, yeah. yes. But if anybody wants to um, come along, hopefully we can run it next year. I'm very positive. Mm-hmm. Um, if anybody would like to um, make sure that they're on the mailing list for next year, just contact Span Community House after the New Year break and we'll... Uh, make sure we contact you next year. Fantastic. Um, I also wanted to just ask you a couple of questions, Colleen, while we've got you in the studio. Um, so you work for Span Community House. Uh, I hadn't heard of them before, and when I was looking into this Sensitive Santa program, um, I had a bit of a look on your website, and it sounds like you do some amazing work. Can you tell me a bit about what Span is? And okay, so Span's a neighbourhood house. Uh, there's 400, over 400 neighbourhood houses located across Victoria, rural, regional and metro. Uh, we all run independently and we've got various um, funding sources and basically because we're independent, uh, as long as we um, comply to various bits and pieces, we can run what we think the um, community wants. So uh, things that we've introduced this year is Tai Chi and cooking and art for people with all abilities. Uh, so they'd have disabilities, um, people recovering from mental illness or living with a mental illness. So we're small and independent enough that we can react quickly to whatever that community need is. 
Uh, we've also introduced an Omni program, which is Older Men, New Ideas, and that's for gentlemen over the age of 50, because often when they retire or semi-retire, they... Um, the wives want to get rid of them out of the house. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and they suffer a little bit of social isolation. They've lost those relationships that they've developed at work. I'm writing this one down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, everybody says, oh, 50, that's the new 30, isn't it? Mm. Um, but, yeah, and that's great because the gentleman can come in and just meet on... It's, uh, it's free, it's all volunteer-run, and they can discuss about uh, a particular topic that's in the news or about troubles they're having at home or just anything they wish so it's all secret men's business so mm-hmm. so mm. just a bit of a social network and, and an opportunity to meet new people and, and have a chat when yeah. you're not maybe getting out as much as you used to mm, exactly yeah. yeah fantastic so we've put up on our facebook page the video that brought me to tears i really mm-hmm. encourage you to have a look um at the video it's very short but it's very beautiful yeah. And I think it really conveys in a way that we can't quite convey in words, you know, what this program has done for kids and families. Mm. Um, so congratulations on, on running it. It's a fabulous Thank idea you. and very important. Um, if you do want more information about the Sensitive Santa program, um, Span Community House is easily um, findable on your internet. Uh, so look them up. Um, hopefully it will be running again next year. Um, and, yeah, you can contact Colleen or Span and find out more information. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 FM in Melbourne, Australia. We've been talking about the Sensitive Santa Program for Kids on the Autism Spectrum Disorder, uh, on Autism Spectrum, sorry, uh, and we're now going to change tack and have a chat to our long-lost panellist, Lolly Duck. We're so thrilled he's back in the studio. Lolly Doc works in the emergency department of, of one of Melbourne's uh, biggest and busiest hospitals and he's got the inside scoop on what they're likely to see over the Christmas period and a New Year period, which I'm pretty interested about. Lolly Doc, share your secrets. Long lost, apparently. <laughs> um, so what I thought I'd do is... Uh, Give uh, Doctor Autonomy and uh, Miss Medic a bit of a quiz. Oh. Okay, so I've got so I've got the top five presentations that actually change um, over the course of the Christmas New Year period. Um, mm. So how about um, how about I actually? L- Put it over to you guys, and uh, maybe you can come up with five. I'm going to jump straight in with yeah. alcohol-related injury. Okay, well, look, I think that's a fantastic <laughs> strategy. So, in fact, um, look, we do see a lot of alcohol-related um, injuries that come into the emergency department anyway. What we do see is that um, in the Christmas New Year period, that jumps to about one in seven presentations. So that was a study from 2011, and that was replicated again in 2014. So you can imagine we see... About 80,000 presentations in our emergency department, about 700 a a month. And of those, 100 will be um, related to alcohol. Um, Obviously, that uh, occurs generally in the post-Christmas period rather than Christmas itself, which I find very interesting. Mm. Boxing Day is a Mm. historically very busy day in the emergency department. Really? Never quite understood why. I suspect it's probably related to people wanting to stay at home on Christmas Day and enjoy time with their families. We know that um, community services are closed over the Christmas New Year period. And uh, like 7-Eleven, we're open 24-7. So (laughs) people will often visit us. Um, But 
alcohol-related ones are there. You know, we've got four left. Mm. Do you want to have a crack? Mm. Let me think. Uh, I don't know how to put it, but you're an <laughs> elderly person that hasn't got anyone around over the Christmas period needs somewhere to stay? Yeah, <laughs> so, so we do have... So there is an increase in social, what we call social presentations. I think it's actually a terrible... Um, terrible indictment on our society that uh, it's not just the elderly it's a lot of people with um i guess poor community links who they can be um female male there's actually no change in demographic uh, but we do see an increase in depression um presentations suicide presentations and what we call parasuicide or attempted suicide presentations which i always it's a very it's a t- sad time of year in our mm. emergency department that's really sad isn't it do you think it's a combination of uh you know people being away and and busy and therefore people having a lot more time on their own and those sort of regular routines and social catch-ups stop but also the time of year and and what it makes you think about and and miss and and long for i think i suspect it's probably just a a keenness of of what you don't have at that Mm. time of year so i guess if you're a a person who has few family members still around, if, for example, if you're elderly, um, or if you are from a, a, a family that has split um, and you've got different, um, I guess, care arrangements with children, those sorts of things, you do tend to feel more keenly the the impact of that at this time of year. And mm. that's what everyone talks about, isn't it? You hear it on the yeah. radio, like yeah. Tripler, um, that families, this is a family time. Mm. And I guess if you don't have a family, family to, to enjoy it with, it can be quite keenly felt. So we do see an increase in those presentations. So do you reckon so, those yeah. first two are related? You know, loneliness and depression and mental mental illness and alcohol-related presentations? There'd have to be a link, wouldn't there? We rarely see one or the other. So we often yeah. see um, people who have multiple... Um, I mean, comorbidities is a terrible word, but we see people with multiple factors that contribute to their, their illness and certainly social, alcohol, drugs, um, isolation, financial stresses are a big one as well at this mm. time of year. Mm. So people who can't afford presents and, and, in fact, our emergency department will um, contributes to the Smith Family Foundation and sends toys and we also have a women's refuge that we um, send supplies to. So it's just that time of year where all the usual stresses of life, I think, are more keenly felt. Mm. Um, I had lunch with some friends yesterday and they were telling me about this yearly tradition that they have with their children where they sit down and, you know, as well as talking about what the kids want for Christmas, they talk about what charity they're going to donate to this year and they talk to the kids about a range of charities and the kids help choose one and that's their annual little uh, routine and, and ritual as well and tradition to uh, donate some money to a charity which, yeah, with everything that we're talking about I think is a beautiful tradition. Mm. Mm. So that's two. It's my turn, isn't it? It is. Holidays, Christmas... So Heat-related. Yes, in, that's a fantastic, fantastic group. Nice. Look at you. You're yes. so proud, aren't you? You're pretty pleased <laughs> with yourself. That's all I've got. Um, so, in fact, I'm going I'm to use that to, to jump into two um, mm-hmm. of these um, increased presentation. Uh, so one of them is heat-related, and we particularly see those in people who are elderly uh, and usually over the age of 70. So we see an increase in these presentations. They're patients who are... Um, really on the edge normally, so they've got lots of illnesses, they live often alone at home, 
Um, they are often financially strapped. And I remember my... In fact, my grandmother uh, not wanting to put her air conditioner on because it would cost money oh. to, to pay for an electricity bill. And she never told us that, of course, until we walked into a house and it was like an oven. So um, we do see that a lot. Um, we see a lot of dehydration. And, in fact, um, governments around the world tend to now put out warnings around this time of year in heat waves, particularly um, for elderly community members. Uh, it occurs as well with kids and certainly... Miss Medica know this, having a, having a young child, they just don't want to drink. It's too much fun playing and running around. So they, you have to encourage your children to drink. You have to encourage your elderly family members to drink and for the general public just to make, to make sure that your fluid intake is, is adequate. And even for the general public, you know, not specifically thinking about the elderly or children, you know, yesterday, 41 degrees, I was astounded to see the number of people who were out and about, you know, walking down the street on a bike, uh, you know, just doing things out in 41 degree heat. And perhaps some of these things were absolutely necessary and, and had to be done. I'm looking at Kent. Uh, <laughs> um, his, his were absolutely necessary. Uh, but you know, just a bit of common sense about that stuff and I think we forget how quickly you can become dehydrated and uh, exhausted by the heat. Probably good a time as well to mention the children in the car. Oh, gosh, yeah, I was just you thinking just, that. You, you yeah. can see it in your eyes. <laughs> um, it's like my... It's my. Um, it's one of my hugest fears, I think. Uh, and I think I know a lot of young mums with really young babies that are very sleep-deprived. Mm. You know, there has been a couple of incidences around the world uh, that have been publicised where, um, you know, women just forget that the baby's in the car. And obviously on, when you're in a situation where the temperatures are above 40, it doesn't take long for those temperatures to rise in the car that become, you know, very, very much life-threatening. I think there's lots of studies that show, you know, cars to fi- within five minutes, 80 degrees, yeah. you know, sort of 35 degree well, days. So one of the, incredible. One mm-hmm. of our Melbourne chefs just posted something of cooking a steak in a car on a hot... That you like That's how quickly the temperatures can rise to the level that you could cook a steak inside a car. I actually read a really interesting article about even prams. So, you know, when you've got young babies and you're out in the heat, um, the thing that all mums do is they put over a sort of muslin cloth over the top of the pram so that the baby's in shade, um, but that that can also act as this little microclimate if you don't have enough air going through and can, yeah, the, the temperature can rise staggeringly in a really short amount of time with young babies. And so, you know, the advice was just to, again, not be out in hot weather um, with your baby in a pram. I think the uh, the shopping centres no don't just uh, keep their air conditioning on just for the shopping. <laughs> yeah. Right. But hey, if you're there and there's something that looks pretty in the window, you may as well. <laughs> um, I'm going to give you the final answer. Thank so you. this is th- this is a weird one, and, and um, I've tried to do a bit of literature search on why this occurs. But we see a lot of cancer diagnoses increase over the Christmas New Year period, and I have no idea why that is. I'd like to be able to give you a really good explanation why that, that might be the case. Um, it, might be uh, what we call the Hawthorne effect, which is when you become aware of something uh, because you're looking for it. Um, and we know, for example, this time of year when you have a diagnosis of cancer, new diagnosis of cancer, it's felt more keenly. It's a sad time. It's a sad time for families and it's uh, something that you notice in the emergency department. I I, um, I think I've become quite 
a lot more emotional this time of year and, and certainly cancer diagnosis really hit me hard uh, mm. at this time of year. We see a lot of it and I, I've got no idea why. If someone can ring in and give me the answer, that'd be great. And, but mm, um, It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, I'm just trying to think what it could be, whether it's that... Um something happens in that time of year that uncovers a symptom like whether it's you know but yeah it's a really tricky one maybe people going on holidays noticing things i don't know i I was thinking do people have a bit more time and they notice a symptom or is it something to do with you know there's nothing like a deadline and you're thinking end of the year or christmas is coming i just want to get this checked out before the new year and before christmas and before we go away or something yeah, I'm not but sure. Oh, because we don't tend... I mean, I, I, from general practice land, I, set, I tend to see people really putting things off at this time of year. Like if they're, if I do suggest an investigation to a patient, they're like, oh, can I just leave it till after Christmas, that type of thing. So, mm. yeah, I would think almost you'd see it maybe more early in the new year. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's, a, it's an interesting one. I'm going to ponder that. Wow. I do want to add in a number six, if I can, please, Dr Autonomy, and that's just kids around swimming pools. So we do have a lot of near drowning and drownings at this time of year, and so I'd encourage people to watch their kids, make sure the fences are closed and all the usual common Mm, sense things that apply around pools. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Doom and gloom, isn't it? I know. Happy days. Merry Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) It's important stuff to be reminded about, though. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 RRR in Melbourne, Australia. And you are listening to our last show for the year, last radiotherapy before the summer programming, which I do love listening to on, on RRR over the summer, actually. And we've got one more segment for you before we roll out of here for the summer. We've been talking about all the things that present to the emergency department. So we thought we'd flip things around and try to end on a bit more of a positive note. Miss Medic, I'm putting all my hope into you. Oh, goodness. (laughs) It's a lot of pressure. Um, Well... Yes. Let's see how we go here. I think um, around this time of year, I've done lots of my top tips. I did the top <laughs> tips for um, not getting sick over Christmas in the past. And it was a bit doom and gloom too, actually. Yeah, wasn't it was it? like fungal infect or inhaling fungus after getting your Christmas tree out of the attic and all those. Getting sorts. sick from undercooked turkey. Undo- yeah, like yeah. all that. Stuff. I'm going to let that yeah. all go. <laughs> and last year, I talked about my mindful. The top tips for a mindful Christmas. I love that. But this time I'm going to talk about my top tips for a healthy new year. Um, And I've probably got a little bit carried away in trying to cover lots of things in my top tips. Oh, you love lists. I love a list. Um, But I'm actually going to encourage you to do the opposite. I want you... I think that... We can also get really overwhelmed with our lists of New Year's resolutions and probably the more you've got on it, the less likely you are to do any of it. So maybe just choose one thing that resonates you and see it through rather than overwhelm yourself. One thing. One thing. Just one. Look, we know in medicine that even a very small change in your lifestyle or in the things that you do can make a massive difference to your health and well-being. So I think that what I would rather see in my patients is tackle one thing and see it through rather than try to take on 20 things and it, you've dropped it by the 10th of January. All right. Give us some ideas. So my number one top tip is to tackle that nagging issue. So this is that thing that's at the back of your head thinking, I've really got to get that done. Oh, I just don't want to do it. That that That's what I want you to tackle. Mine's the fungal infection from 2015. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's a strange smell. <laughs> 
Um, so, I, look, I think um, maybe it's that you want to catch up on vaccination for your kids. That's an absolutely worthwhile thing to do. And for some of us, those, you know, you've just let it slide and you decided you want to get up to date, go and see your GP, get it up to date. It's not as hard as you think it, it's going to be. Um, so maybe you're overdue for a pap smear or a mammogram. Maybe you've never been checked for a sexually transmitted infection. Um, Moles. Mole, yes, yeah, skin checks. I'm going to get to that. Um, or maybe your doctor gave you a form for blood test three years ago and you never got around <laughs> to it. Maybe you know you're drinking a bit too much or that you're still smoking and you really don't want to anymore. Um, and I think it's important to know that, it, you know, it's totally cool. GPs are not about tutting and judging and we will just be happy to see you and to get it sorted with you. And maybe you'll be surprised by how quickly and easily you can get something underway. Um, and it could make a huge difference just to know that you've done that can make a huge difference to your, to your overall sense of well-being. So that's my number one. Tackle that nagging issue. Number two, do something good for your body. So maybe <laughs> this is just something small as I'm well. I'm thinking shortbread. <laughs> that can be very good for your body, just, you know, in moderation. Mm. A short little sugar spike. Um, but think about your diet. So maybe are you eating enough fruit and veggies or have you fallen into some kind of food rut? Or maybe you're buying lunch at work and that really limits your choices. So, um, so something there, just tweak it a little bit. Maybe you think you could be better at eating breakfast in the morning. Um, just something that you could make a slight change to. I think less coffee actually is my one. I've got back on board the regular coffee every day, more than one, and I was off it for so long through pregnancy and, and yeah. early breastfeeding. I think I need to pull it back. That's my thing. Yeah, and sometimes it's that anything that becomes too much of, uh, like you think it's too much of a crutch, then maybe that's something that needs tweaking a little bit. Um, but I'm not going anywhere with my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. You can do that one. I'll eat more breakfast. Um, or, and then or maybe it's exercise. So that's the other big thing. And look, regular exercise is probably better than any drug we have in the market. Um, has so many proven benefits to the body and the mind and very few side effects. I mean, if a drug company could bottle exercise, they would be flogging it like there's no tomorrow. Um, so if you and if you can find a type of exercise that you love doing, well, that's a massive bonus. And sometimes mm. it's a bit of trial and error. And maybe you'll never find something that you absolutely love, but it doesn't matter. You should probably still do it anyway. I remember having this chat with a friend of mine who exercises all the time. He's very fit and always has been and has always exercised in a number of different ways. And I remember having this chat to him and sort of saying, it's all right for you because you love exercise, whereas I hate it. You know, I just hate it. And it's such a stretch and such an effort for me to do it. I know I should and I really try to, but it's such an effort. And he said to me, I don't love it. Uh, where did you get that idea from? You know, most mornings when I get up to go for a run or a cycle or whatever, it's a real effort for me too, you know, but I just, I know that I feel so much better afterwards and I, it's just part of my routine. I force myself to get up and do it and afterwards I never regret it. And I was floored. I just, yeah. I couldn't believe that it was not something that he just loved. It was actually just a choice that he'd made about his lifestyle. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's a huge, that's a huge part of it. And once it is routine, then maybe you'd, you'd stop sort of questioning it and s stop sort of spending too much time thinking about, do I want to do it today or could I just do it tomorrow? That sort of thinking, which is probably not very helpful, but instead just getting it part of your routine. And what we're really aiming for, a lot of people say, well, how much exercise? 
exercise. So the, all the studies have shown we need to do about three sessions of 40-plus minutes of exercise where your cardiovascular fitness is picking up. So you're taking your heart rate into that sort of working hard level, not too hard, but where you couldn't sort of comfortably talk at the same time. You'd be sort of your, your heart rate is up into your fitness sort of level. And you should, yeah, so doing 40-plus minutes three times a week to be getting those physical and mental health benefits. Um, so number three, do something good for your mind. So it's not just about our body, it's about our mind as well. Um, relaxation, meditation, mindfulness, all those sorts of things have got far-reaching benefits on our health and, and well-being. And it doesn't actually take a huge commitment of time either. So five to ten minutes a day, even less, you know, put Smiling Mind on your phone. It's an app, it's free, it's Australian non-for-profit organisation and just sit and do five minutes of mindfulness meditation. Do it even if you're not feeling like you're having any mental health issues. Do it because it can aid in creativity, developing insight, being more productive, sleeping better and even as a sort of protective mechanism to sort of stop you having those little blips in mental health which we know are just part of the human condition they're not about there being a weakness or anything else associated but if you look after your mind it'll look after you so I think that that's a really important one and it's one that I picked up a few years ago and I actually looked at my phone to see how many sessions of meditation I've done since we discussed doing this remember it was I think it was about three two or three yeah, years it was ago a few years ago we're like let's both start yeah. every day yeah yeah and I've I've done something like 780 <sighs> meditations since that time that's amazing and so that started with zero yeah but over time and it's just part of my life now and I'm all the better for it and it's just about checking in with yourself really isn't it and having that time and space to notice how you're actually feeling when you know when you don't stop and there's no quiet time and 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 space it's hard to notice what's going on for yourself and you're caught up in the you know adrenaline field particularly this time of year busy life um even just starting with you know walking outside and you know switching off the tv and the music and sitting outside for five minutes and just sitting in a quiet space and breathing you know that is meditation that's absolutely yeah it's lolling i couldn't agree more and and in fact miss medic you just talked about sleep and my new year's resolution this year was to actually get one more hour of sleep Mm. three times a week because i'm a a night owl i like to go to bed late and i always wake up feeling unrefreshed and tired and Mm -hmm. so i decided to go to sleep one hour earlier three times three nights a week I feel great. And don't, really? I, don't yeah. I look so young? You do you look do. so young. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. that's yeah. exactly what I'm saying is that something's quite small. So that's not making a huge lifestyle change for you. And you're not losing out. You know, you're not sacrificing your social life or your your need to be awake at, at, in the evening, where, which is often a time that, like, I really enjoy that too. Yeah, I like, I'm a night owl yep. as well. Um so, but such as just a subtle change can cause, you know, great knock on effects. And perhaps your blood pressure is even lower. Perhaps your cholesterol is lower. You know, all these things may be going on inside your body as a result of making such a, a subtle shift. So, but I think that that's a, a really good example of what you can do. And what's interesting about that is that you had a clear plan, you know, three times a week, one hour earlier. Whereas if you just say, oh, yeah, next year I want to get more sleep. How do you actually do that? You know, every night you might think, oh, I should probably go to bed a bit earlier. Oh, what's the time? Oh, you know, tomorrow night. Yeah, I should get more sleep. But having that clear plan three times a week, one hour earlier, and you've done it. It was clear that I was not keeping any of my New Year's resolutions before 2015. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, and so I'm going to move on to my last one. So I've just done four of my top tips because there were lots of little tips along the way, really. <laughs> um, and I'm going to say consider a general checkup. So if I've said all of this stuff and you just don't know where to start, or maybe nothing sort of really rung true with you and you you're not quite sure where you sit with your general health, book an appointment with your GP. Have a good GP, find a good GP, someone you like who listens to you. There's loads of us out there. There's someone for everyone, I'm sure. Um, and you know, maybe they can help you highlight something that you might need attention. Um, or maybe they're telling you that you're doing all the right things and they give you a resounding round of applause. So all of that is going to be of benefit to you. To know that you're on track with your health could, is, would be something fantastic. Um, and at that point, you know, your general checkup, we can check blood pressure, we can do some blood tests for cholesterol, all those sorts of things. You might want to talk about your family history and something that's nagging you that some, one of your family members had and just want to nut that out with your GP. And great time for a skin check. I advise, you know, us Aussies, we love the outdoors. We're from, there's a strong Anglo-Saxon sort of component to our genetic makeup here. It means we don't have great skin that's well uh, adapted to our outdoor high. UV exposure so um, always a good time at the start of the year to have a skin check and um, yeah let's st- you can start off the year in better health than you were you know as you wrapped it up and, and I can't help but think as I'm hearing all of these tips you know having a regular GP has got to be part of this doesn't it you know thinking about all of these things if you think about going to see your regular GP who you know and who knows you and you've got a history with all of that stuff just seems way easier than thinking about trying to find someone for that conversation yeah so that yeah that's great like that's a good point having a good having a regular GP is definitely um, very important but if you if maybe that's the thing that you need to do for this year Maybe it's that you need to find your regular GP. Um, That in itself will have um, health benefits for you. Thanks, Miss Medic. I definitely feel way more optimistic and hopeful. And and the best bit is I only have to choose one thing. Yes. Just one. Which isn't shortbread. (laughs) Isn't. Isn't. Damn it. (laughs) Um, That's it for us. That was our last show for the year. Thank you so much, Lolly Dock. It was a great pleasure to have you back in the studio. Thanks and for having we me We look on. forward to having you back again Merry next Christmas, year. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thank you. Miss Medic, always a pleasure. Thanks. And we'll see you again next year. Absolutely. Kent, great work pushing the buttons. Where would we be without you? Uh, if you want to, if you haven't already, like our Facebook page, Radiotherapy on 3RRR. Uh, we're also on a podcast and you can also find us on Radio On Demand. Stay tuned because the scientists are ready to bring you their last show for the year. And we will be back with you in February next year. Have a great break. Whenever I come home after a hard day's work, I love to listen to the sounds of Triple R. 102.7 This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne Truly independent community radio Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au